got several things I'd like to cover. Uh, the first is 36 holes in the roof, or another way of looking at it is uh, IR of the brain, insulin resistance or diabetes of the brain. Um, after we cover that, I'll, I'll give you an update on a membership page pilot that we're doing. A couple of reminders, the LACIMT event, September 28th. To find that, you can go to cardiorisk.us slash healthy life. When I did that video on it, uh, introducing it last week, I gave you the wrong link. I gave you cardiorisk.us slash forward. All that link will do is get you registered and they'll send you an email whenever they have, um, whenever we have an event, whether no matter where it is in the country. The first event is scheduled at September 28th in Anaheim, LA, and it's on, um, it's at, to register and get your, uh, get your time to get the CIMT, go to cardiorisk.us slash healthy life. The Louisville event, just a quick reminder on that, uh, November 8th and 9th, and you can find that at our website, prevmedheartrisk.com. Uh, the last thing I'll cover is a webinar pilot. Uh, again, in this constant quest to try to get better access and lower costs with high quality uh, for folks to be able to get their own information regarding, do I have infl uh, insulin resistance? Do I have cardiovascular inflammation? Do I have plaque? So, 36 holes in the roof. Now that's a quote that comes from Dale Bredesen's book. You may, some of you I'm sure have read it, The End of Alzheimer's. Um, he gets a little bit deep and detailed in terms of looking at uh, just about every lab plus the kitchen sink. Um, but there's a lot of very, very good information. Uh, I was in the first, um, well, I'll tell you about that in just a minute. What does 36 holes in the roof mean? Well, I'll tell you about that in just a minute as well. Why do we call it um, uh, insulin resistance or diabetes of the brain? 80% of folks that have um, Alzheimer's ha are known insulin resistant or diabetic. The 36 holes in the roof comes from a quote in the book. There are at least 36 mechanisms contributing to Alzheimer's disease. So fixing one has little chance for success, fixing just one. The laboratory results reveal the, reveal the sizes of each hole for each person. Now, um, it, so this is, like, this is like the same thing with heart attacks and strokes. You're much better off preventing this than trying to get a cure. Now, there's a couple of things that, that are helpful to remember about um, prevention and, and mild cognitive impairment. Here's the continuum. You start off with preclinical you're getting some insulin resistance, you're getting some impact on the brain itself, but not enough to have any symptoms. Then you go into what's called mild cognitive impairment or SCI, subjective cognitive impairment. The typical thing you'll hear from someone with SCI is, you know, I keep telling myself, I'm not remembering names as well as I used to, or I've always been really good at math and I'm just not able to click on some of the math the way I used to. I asked my friend and he said, I'm crazy. He said, I'm just as sh I'm sharper than others in this area and I'm just as sharp as the next guy. Here's the bad news. And you could ask your spouse. I think if I asked my wife, she would tell me I'm, uh, you know, you know, spouses are gonna tell you, they're, they're gonna see a whole, a whole different perspective. So maybe ask somebody who's not quite as emotionally connected. Um, here's the thing. If your, your typical story for someone with mild cognitive impairment or SCI, subjective cognitive impairment, is that they're right. They are losing some uh, mental uh, uh, quickness, some mental agility, and again, they're the first one to notice it. Once you get to full-blown dementia, again, that's, as we talked before, there's just, there's 36 holes in the roof. It's very difficult to start patching every one of those holes, dealing with, uh, you know, there's a perception about fungus and mold and a bunch of other stuff. We don't focus on that. We don't, we do provide, we have provided a lot of services in, uh, in this um, Alzheimer's uh, area, but we're focusing now mostly on uh, subjective cognitive impairment and um, insulin resistance. So just uh, speaking about insulin resistance and the overlap, uh, I uh, started to mention that I was in, the first training class that Bredesen had for 
uh, physicians and providers to uh, get into the network to start providing this care. He came up to me after the event and he said, what did, what did you think? And I had to say, look, I, I was a little bit surprised that there was actually so little information on insulin resistant. And, you know, and I was giving what I consider to be a gross underestimation. I said, isn't it at least 50% uh, of the cause related to IR? And he said, he looked at me kind of funny and he said, well, I think it's 100% related to insulin resistance. 80% are known insulin resistant. The rest are what we call CNS, insulin resistant. In other words, central nervous system or insulin resistance of the brain. Now, my response at that point was, yeah, or they also had, uh, had insulin resistance in their body, but, you're just, but people are just measuring it looking at um, hemoglobin A1C or fasting glucose. Again, they're missing a huge portion of this problem. One other distinction to be aware of as we consider this is that insulin in and of itself has a totally separate function within the brain and it has to do with memory. So um, again, there's a lot of dots to connect and to be very frank, um, in terms of the full science of Alzheimer's, we haven't connected all the dots. We, we spend what, two or three trillion or is it a year? I don't know. Somebody check my facts on that. It's a huge amount of money trying to get deeper in terms of understanding um, uh, Alzheimer's. They've focused a lot on uh, amyloid beta and some of those other biomarkers. Um, bottom line is they haven't developed a cure, but it's pretty clear that uh, reversing insulin resistance is a major preventive measure. Now, this is a, an article from Nature Magazine. You don't really get better than uh, Nature Magazine in terms of hard science. And more and more articles are appearing uh, labeling um, dementia, Alzheimer's as, quote, type 3 diabetes. Now, this uh, gets into a lot of the detail in terms of um, some really geeky biomarkers linking the two, insulin resistance and diabetes. We're not gonna go there tonight, but again, just to give you some of the science or, or a brief 50,000 foot look at some of the science linking the two. Now, a couple of comments about how, a, a couple of measurement components. You may have heard of the MOCA before. MOCA stands for the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. Um, it's uh, one of the key tools that you use, it's like, one of the two major tools you use in terms of, um, of cognitive impairment. You may have remember last year, the president, uh, the story came out that maybe he requested one of those. I'm not sure, but he had a MOCA. He had a, a cognitive uh, agility test and they said he scored very well on it. I'm not gonna make any comments. Obviously, I could make a lot of comments about but this is not, this is a topic on science. It's not uh, political satire. So Montreal uh, Cognitive Assessment. What does it look for? Short-term memory, executive function, orientation, clock drawing, attention span, language, ability to abstract, and animal naming. So some um, memory type of things. Now, uh, this is a highly standardized test. You have to get certification in order to, to give a valid score. Uh, Janice, my wife, Dr. Derrickson, does have a, um, one of the few people I know that does have certification and training in providing this test. And that's part of what, what we have, uh, services we've provided in the past for people with cognitive impairment. Now, one of the other, the other major um, assessment item unique to cognitive impairment has to do with hippocampal volume. The hippocampus is the part of the brain that literally connects the dots. It, it provides the connection between multiple thought uh, centers. And so if you're going to have a problem with memory and connecting the dots, it's likely to go through the hippocampus. Now, if you look at this, you already may have seen it, the hippocampus of a normal uh, control 
is very, very different from the hippocampus of someone with Alzheimer's. So again, that's another way you can take a look and start getting a little bit better assessment of uh, just what sort of equipment capacity uh, you have up there. So that's a, that's a little bit about uh, type three diabetes, uh, insulin resistance of the brain, Alzheimer's, cognitive decline. So I wanted to talk for a few minutes about a pilot that we have going on. You can go see that now, I believe. Uh, it's a membership page. Basically what we're doing is we're putting all of our uh, digital content on one page. So for the, those of you that have bought one of the courses, you can go in and, and uh, see the course here. Uh, if you haven't bought a course, but you're interested, you can get uh, free previews of the courses. It also will also be adding um, a lot of free um, infographics. I just worked on editing uh, some of those today. They still have some, um, have some need for edits. And as you can tell, we're growing fast in some areas that we haven't tended to grow before in terms of these digital products. They're gonna be a little bit rusty, a little bit um, uh, rough until we, not so polished until we get up and rolling. So please be patient with us when you see a need for edits. Um, but the new membership page is a great way to start figuring out how to access our stuff. How do you get there? If you go to the webpage, it's uh, prevmedheartrisk.com. You'll see a new button. Click on membership login right there. That'll take you to a place where you create your free account and you just give your email, free account password, and there you go. A couple of quick reminders, as I mentioned, with the um, November 8th and 9th uh, coming up for Louisville, the, uh, the event. You can get your CIMT, all of your labs, and spend two days on a, in more of an intense boot camp type of environment talking about how to interpret these labs, how to interpret the CIMT, um, getting a report from a radiologist on these interpretations. Uh, there will be one-on-one -on -one meetings with me, uh, many at the meeting and some after the, the meeting. Um, the, uh, for, we did put a, a, um, a special in there for, this is, this is um, the country of vices, horse racing, uh, liquor, and I can't remember what the other vice was, but uh, people that have an interest, uh, we bought some, uh, a free Evan, Evan Williams um, distillery tour. Why we would do that on a health, I, I don't know. But uh, if you have an interest, you don't have to drink any of the bourbon. It's, uh, it's sort of like the Disney of, uh, of distilleries. It's set up to help you understand the history of this region. Um, <clears throat> cardio risk, uh, US healthy life. I mentioned that earlier on September 28th, David Mainz is gonna be giving a half day event in Anaheim. The registration is 245. That will cover the um, CIMT and the reading also a half day of uh, discussion about what we do. Uh, uh, inflammation, uh, insulin resistance, your CIMT, um, and we're gonna try to set it up to where uh, Todd and I can attend remotely. Whether we're able to get that to work or not, it's hard to, hard to predict at this point. Again, we got a lot of things going on. Now, the last thing I wanted to make you aware of is our webinar series. And this came up, I'm, I'm not sure, I think it may have been Bart Robinson who uh, asked about the webinar. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago on one of the live events. And this all started when one of our guys uh, mistakenly uh, published an old video that John Lorscheider um, had done. It had to do with how to get labs on your own. And it mentioned getting an inflammation panel from Quest. Several people latched onto that gave Quest a call, call and it's outdated. Quest is not given um, uh, individual access to the inflammation panel anymore, but they still are giving it through us. So as the discussions continued to happen on that, I started to think, you know what? I could, we have a, a contract with Quest and I could provide access uh, to the inflammation panel and, the, and an insulin survey um, through our contracts. 
So that's what we're planning to do. And then set up a series to go over the series of webinars to go over the results. So here's what that is. The goal is to provide actual measurement and interpretation of labs and, and imaging uh, to folks. Again, better access, lower cost to you and uh, high quality, continued high quality. So the registers, registrants would access their individual labs and imaging results. Um, they then attend a, a webinar to, uh, to talk about interpretation. The target time for these webinars would be 45 minutes. The topic would be, the first one would be an intro to describe how the process uh, works. The second one would be a summary. Uh, then we can get deeper in uh, follow-ups with one on plaque, one on insulin resistance and diabetes, and one on cardiovascular inflammation. So what's the process? Sign up for the webinar. If you want to get labs or uh, lab orders, um, then you contact uh, myhealth at prevmedheartrisk.com. Contact Joseph or Michelle. Then you can get the, uh, your inflammation panel, OGTT with insulin or the calcium score. We talked about setting up the CIMT. That takes a little time and we're just not ready to, to do that in volume at this point. Uh, so then you get those, you uh, obtain the results and then you att attend the webinar. You can obviously attend the webinar without those results, and you can obviously attend the webinar before uh, you get the results and after. Uh, what are the times and dates that we plan to set those up? We don't know yet. Clyde's gonna send out a, um, a survey. And right now we're planning on starting uh, Tuesdays, 11 Eastern time. Now I know we're, uh, 147 degrees west, that's, uh, that's pretty tough for Alaska time. And uh, Laura Dell and Ham, I know that that's, uh, I would guess that's going to be like 11 a.m. or something. I mean, 11 p.m. maybe. So it may be tough for the Australians as well. But again, um, sign up, get, the, um, get set up with the membership page, and we'll start getting the surveys out. And we will adjust as we need. Oh, what's the price for this? And that's to be, uh, to be decided. We're working on that right now. Again, it's going to be much less than our, our um, intensive one-on-one, -on -one, doing the whole one thing one-on-one -on -one with me. The first uh, free uh, for the webinar itself would be, or the first 10 for the webinar uh, itself will be free as a pilot. Um, the lab costs will be uh, to be decided as well. Will we cover other topics? Yeah, if it's successful, we plan to, to open it up. Isn't this actually practicing medicine? No, doing the webinars, not really until, um, I will not be talking about anybody's individual results unless the individual brings it up. If the individual brings up a question about a specific uh, result, uh, we will be able to discuss that on the webinar. Uh, orders and individual reports is getting more to closer to practicing medicine. One of the things we have to do is get your demographics and set you up as a, um, as a patient in our EMR, electronic medical record, in order to uh, provide those lab orders. So for the lab orders, the lab orders, and if you get what we call cash labs, just pay us, that will actually be more expensive than the webinar itself. Again, we're working on pricing and access. We'll keep you posted on that. How will you be? How will it be scheduled? How will we be notified? Videos, routine schedule, like uh, you know, same time, same time slot each week. Um, Facebook, Twitter, etc. How long for each topic? Again, the target 45 minutes for each webinar, um, with about 20 minutes, maybe 30 of me talking about content, and then the rest of it set up for uh, Q and A. Will there be, speaking of which, will there be Q&A? Yes, there will be. I believe that is the end of the slideshow. And I hope you guys have been able to see this. Let me go back and, ah, let me see. I hope this doesn't, so live on streaming service. Hopefully, uh-oh, well, did I lose everybody? I don't know.
Okay. I'm going to read off some questions here. Um, oh, there's been a lot of activity. I see it. Thumbs up. Yes, I do. Hi, Doc. Homayun Sitki. Um, uh, Mr. Sitki, how are you? Hello, Dr. Brewer. Why don't my cardiologist and GP know any of this? Hmm. I have to be careful what I say about that. Um, IR is not even a part of their vocabulary. Thanks for all the info. Thank you for the comment. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. The bottom line is if you've got 20 or 50 patients in your waiting room who have, who need a, um, uh, need a stent or they've got full-blown diabetes, you tend to just sort of pass quickly through somebody that may have um, much lower levels. But the problem is, it's the lower levels. It's that 20 years of insulin resistance that creates the, um, the, uh, the risk, the plaque, the inflammation. Adam Scott, and, and let me just ask you this, guys. Please let me know if you can still see and hear me. I'm going to, uh, to cover a few questions here. Uh, I think we had one from Adam Scott. In your opinion, could you increase attention span through your diet, like foods high in tyrosine or something? Well, you know, the biggest thing, actually, I just uh, worked on my, um, my cognitive uh, decline deck this morning, and there's a lot of things out there. Uh, if you read uh, Dale Bredesen's book, he talks about um, ashwagandha, any of the things that impact uh, insulin resistance, like cinnamon, um, berberine, all of those. Um, there's one, uh, phosphatidylcholine is considered to be, quote, brain food. The reality is that all of those do appear to have some impact. Um, here's the thing, though. The major driving force under all of this is that 20 years of very mild insulin resistance, uh, pecking away at your brain just the way it, it pecks away at the, um, um, the arteries, the, inter the internal lining of the arteries. So the major focus is to, uh, to manage that insulin resistance. There's nothing more important to managing that insulin resistance than diet. So number one, if you have insulin resistance, don't eat carbs. You can't, if you can't metabolize carbs, don't eat them. Number two, uh, keeping your BMI at a good level. For most of us, that's in the low 20s. For if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger and you're at peak level, I mean, when he was at peak and won Mr. Olympia, he was actually at a, a BMI of 30. Most of us don't have that kind of muscle mass and that kind of fat mass. The goal is to maximize muscle mass and decrease fat mass because muscle has actually an insulin-like function, pulling blood sugar out of the sugar out of the blood and into the muscle, and fats have a an inflammatory function. Um, I, may, I hear that I may have to redo the, um, the the video I did recently on the secret life of fat cells, but because of some sound uh, tech issues. But the bottom line is we used to think fat was just a storage cell. Not at all. It is an endocrine cell and it uh, creates uh, inflammation. It also creates insulin resistance. So Loretta Dillon Ham, who or where does an x-ray of the hippocampus get done? Um, I don't know about, the, um, about Australia. I do know in uh, the US, most, um, most places that have, especially a freestanding um, radiology unit with an MRI, uh, most of those do have some access to the hippocampal volume uh, study. Kelly Clover, answer to Sidkey, mainstream doctors are beholden to treatment guidelines, which have little to do with reality, but it enriches powerful special interests, including big pharma. It's a good point, Kelly. Um, I was involved, when I was at Hopkins, I my, actually, we had a contract. My residents actually developed the first set of literature reviews, the uh, understanding of the science that the first um, standards of um, preventive medicine, the American College of Preventive Medicine were written on. Standards committees are just like any other human event. They are political. They have a human political involvement. 
And here's when you think about it this way, you can understand why it still takes at least 15 years usually to get new developments from science into medical standards. And that is you'd pick the, the experts in an area and those experts usually have to admit that either uh, their competitors sitting across the table or somebody who's not even in the room discovered something that they think they should have discovered and they've got to acknowledge that it's important and true. So, you know, you got some big egos sitting around standards table, or yeah, sitting around standards tables, and it's a slow human process. Most of these things are are uh, are changing, but you have to be patient. Neil Higgins, pardon me just a second. Um, Neil Higgins, this is not soda, by the way. No sugar in this. This is a uh, a uh, sparkling water. Neil Higgins, my cardiologist said a heart-healthy diet would be a good idea. Put me on Crestor and beta blockers. I dropped all crappy carbs. My CRP, C-reactive protein, is now the lowest it's been since 2012 when I was diagnosed with PMR. Well, very good. Congratulations to you. Um, it says we've got, uh, what? Of several dozen uh, concurrent viewers, and hopefully we're still broadcasting, so I'll continue. Um, Adam Scott, anyone know if he answers questions from this live chat? Uh, Adam, yes, I do. If I can wade through this confusing technology, see a live chat question like this one and answer it, I certainly will. Uh, James Cantor, Neil Higgins, what does PMR stand for? Neil Higgins, that morphed into rheumatoid arthritis this June, had a CAC over 2000. Uh, so Neil, thank you for sharing that. The others, um, it's a really, really good point, Neil. The others don't, uh, oh, and PMR, you meant polymyalgia rheumatica. So here's the thing. Um, most of us know, most people know that diabetes sets you up for a heart attack and stroke and inflammation. Very few people know that the inflammatory diseases, especially rheumatoid arthritis, polymyalgia uh, rheumatica, PMR, uh, lupus, a lot, several of the inflammatory diseases create just as much risk for heart attack and stroke as diabetes for the individual person. It's just that the inflammatory, so when I talk to neurologists, someone else asked, uh, I think Sidkey asked, why do, don't my regular docs know this? Actually, if you talk to your neurologist and your uh, rheumatologist and uh, your, especially rheumatologist and dermatologist, both tend to know a lot more about the cardiovascular inflammation side because they deal with inflammatory uh, diseases all the time. The endocrinologists sometimes know, but the problem with endocrinologists is they're in the same position that your primary care doc or your cardiologist are. They've got a room full of 50 full-blown diabetics and really don't take the time to focus on the more subtle uh, challenges like we're, we're working on. And what you have to work on if you're gonna prevent these issues. Okay. Um, Sitki, I hope that got the, I hope that gave you the reply you were uh, searching for. Yes, Adam, Dr. B will canvas these questions, answer what he can. Neil Higgins, I lost 28 pounds since my CAC score, off all sugars and flours, et cetera. You know, Neil, um, losing 30 pounds is a life-changing event. And I've got, a, now since most of my patients are coming in through the YouTube channel, it's, over, it's like over half of them uh, have already lost 30 pounds before they come in to see me. You know, my obvious first reaction is, well, you may have just saved two or three decades of healthy life. Uh, what can I do for you now? And the answer is always the same. Yep, I'm obviously really focused on this. I wanna get healthy. I know I've done a whole lot. I know I've done most of the hard part, but I wanna dial it in further. And you can always dial it in further. So that's, that's what I'm ending up doing these days. I'm spending actually less time talking about Inflammation 101 uh, which I used to a couple of years ago, and much more time talking about the subtleties. And it's uh, the blessings of the uh, the YouTube channel, the folks that already come to me knowing a lot more uh, than folks used to in the past. 
um, Neil Higgins, cardiologist and rheumatologist, haven't even mentioned if I might be IR. Yeah, um, the rheumatologists and dermatologists do understand inflammation, but they still don't understand uh, subtle IR too well yet. Uh, most of them don't. Some of them do, but the vast majority don't. James Cantor, Neil Higgins, are you over 65? Uh, well, Neil will have to answer that. David Wyman, hi, Doc. Love your work. You are a true pioneer. Well, thank you very much. Um, I, will, I, will say, <clears throat> I will say thank you again. I'll have to say that when you tell me that, it reminds me of the old adage that um, pioneers get arrows and uh, end up face down in the dust and the settlers, uh, I, I, I forgot how it goes, but sometimes I feel like, yeah, I'm getting all the arrows from, from the pioneer role too. De, uh, Deloretta Dillon Ham, no, still here, okay. Neil Higgins, 59, lifelong athlete, avid cyclist, asymptomatic for heart disease. Good for you. 147 degrees west, there you are. Still see and hear you. Joey Boombots, no, I'm here. Uh, IR, interventional radiology, no uh, insulin resistance. IR, and pardon, um, pardon me, I try to get away from acronym ease. But especially with IR, I start using that word, insulin resistance. Neil Higgins, part of the problem is our so-called free Canadian healthcare system. Neil, my brother lives in Canada. There's actually some really good components to that Canadian healthcare system. One of them is you, um, in Canada, they get um, Lavallo, uh, Patavastatin for about a tenth of the price that it costs us here in the U.S., Peter Laness, New Zealand, loud and clear. Good to, good to hear from you, Peter. Richard Lund, uh, LA. It's reported that it protects the function of endothelial cells after a meal. I'm not sure. Oh, gamma tocopherol. Okay. Sidkey, thanks, Dr. Brewer. Sidkey, th yes, thank you. Bart Robinson tuned in and got my full attention. Thank you, Bart. I hope you were the guy that uh, had the questions about the webinar uh, uh, pilot. And if you weren't, I'm sorry, but I hope you're interested in it anyway. Again, uh, hopefully a big increase in access, big uh, uh, improvement in cost. Uh, Mr. Y. Tully, question. Can you talk about the sugar buster supplement you posted yesterday? Okay. Um, uh, Jim Nima. I first heard of Jim Nima a few a few years ago. Um, it's a Jim Nima is a it's a dried. Usually you'll get it as a dried powder. It's a um, I think isn't that the one that's the cow plant C O W P L A N T. Anyhow, what you get it's something that's been used for over a thousand years in Ayurvedic medicine. Um, what it well, the reason it's called the sugar buster is it does have one very clear uh, mechanism and role. It coats these sweet receptors, which you tend to find in the, the back of the tongue and the palate. Uh, after um, swallowing or swishing around some of that gymnema powder, you pretty much lose the taste for sweet. Now, somebody, I was just reading comments on that, um, on that video and somebody said, well, doesn't that make things taste differently? Sure does if it's something that was sweet. Uh, I will tell you, I have been a sweetaholic my whole life, and that's not really good for an insulin-resistant person, uh, pre-diabetic like I am. I can tell you, I mean, it's been a battle ah, as long as I can remember, at least 30 years, and I know it's been a battle when I was a teenager to try to stay away from sweets. I wish I, I just this past week started trying that Jim Nemo. And dang, it helped. I, it's, it's not the battle that, that I've been fighting for 45 years. I wish I'd known about it long, long ago. Now, there may be some other uh, bio, biochemical or biological mechanisms, central mechanisms after it's absorbed in terms of um, maybe uh, uh, impacting absorption of sweets down in the gut, absorption of sweets in other places, but um, that's not very clear. 
it doesn't matter to me. It's helping me impact that and get, and get away from that battle over, oh, I want something sweet. Oh, I want something sweet. Okay, I hope that uh, answered your question. Um, I have also lost 10 pounds and am on your protocol. Since your channel, see you in future before I have a heart problem. Well, good. I, I do uh, look forward to seeing you. And thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, Colin Whelan, do you think a lot of health issues occur because people are unaware they're not hydrated properly? You know, uh, you clearly have problems with young people, like young athletes doing two-a-days in 100-degree weather. And um, young athlete or young people that think that it's not an athletic event, but then they decide they want to go rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. Those are places where you get tragic events with and that and heat stroke and heat stroke occurs in a lot of work areas, but that's one thing. And that's very, and you're going to say, well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about maybe even a heart attack from being, being dehydrated. There is a, um, if you look it up on, on the web, you Google it, You'll see, excuse me, a lot of claims that you can get a heart attack, excuse me, from being uh, dehydrated. That's not true. Um, okay. Colin Whelan from the Republic of Ireland. Um, glad to have you. And I was going to try to say something silly about some sort of Irish greeting, or, but I'm not good at any of that. So thank you very much for telling us you're from Ireland. And again, very glad to have you. Neil Higgins, is that statin you mentioned better than Crestor? Here's the advantage to, um, to uh, patavastatin or Lavalo. The advantage is this. Um, all the other statins sort of continue to push you down the insulin resistance diabetes highway, uh, even Crestor. I, I'm, um, when I use uh, statin, it's almost, in the past, it's almost always been, well, at least for the past two years, it's, it's usually been low-dose Crestor. So low-dose Crestor is not going to push you that far. Um, uh, over the past year, um, well, here, here's what happened. A few years ago, a new statin came out, uh, Lavalo or Patavastatin. And it had a major advantage. Not only does it not push you down that uh, insulin resistance highway, diabetes highway, it actually starts to pull you back. It actually decreases insulin resistance. Now, I haven't used it much. It came out a, a, more than a year ago. Um, I didn't use it in the beginning for two reasons. Uh, number one, it cost a huge amount, and I had very few people whose insurance would pay for it or wanted to pay for it themselves when they had an a perfectly good option like Crestor. The other issue was this. The major reason I give statins is not to manage LDL. That's not really the issue. The issue is to decrease inflammation. Inflammation is where your own you're taking friendly fire. Your body is attacking, uh, the, the, the immune cells in your body is attacking LDL that has lodged in your artery wall. You've had some uh, a challenge to the glycocalyx usually due to having a few hours of a blood sugar 180 or above, 140 or above. And if you have a few hours of that, they've got pictures of the glycocalyx before and after. And it looks like somebody came along with a lawnmower and just cut out major chunks of the glycocalyx. When that happens, LDL that is in your blood, no matter what um, concentration it is, it can go through that glycocalyx and lodges in the artery wall. So that's why they always originally thought that cholesterol was the problem because plaque is made up of oxidized LDL lodged in the artery wall. So they thought originally, well, you are what you eat and this must be coming from the bloodstream after you eat it. Then they found out, well, actually, we're, uh, we make far more cholesterol than we eat. <clears throat> that started to take a chunk out of the uh, cholesterol uh, fad. The next thing was we, we recognized that half of the people having heart attacks have normal cholesterol values. So yet another big chunk out of the LDL uh, theory. And I can tell you, I've got plenty of patients that have FH familial hypercholesterolemia. 
these people will have an LDL of 250, 300, 350. They still, still tend to not have a problem uh, in their early decades and still not have a problem with, with uh, events or even inflammation until they start getting into their 50s and 60s or they start getting obese. In other words, they start getting insulin resistant. Uh, we covered, we've covered several uh, folks with FH on the channel. Uh, I'm blanking on her name right now, but uh, one, one lady shared with us that, oh, Sue, uh, she shared with us that uh, she was a big smoker. She had uh, ended up having, having to have um, uh, not, um, uh, she had an event. She had to have uh, stents, stents and then um, surgery multiple times. But that was because she was smoking. She had a smoking uh, habit in addition to her uh, FH, her high cholesterol. She dropped her smoking, uh, had her surgery, but then she started gaining weight. She went from 125 to 250, and um, she went about 15 years from her first event, I think was in her mid-30s. Her second event was in her 50s, and again, she weighed twice what she uh, had weighed before. So she was a great example of how the cholesterol itself is not what got her. It was when something else was added to it, like cigarettes or obesity, leading to, obviously, uh, insulin resistance. I think I've gone off down a bunny trail. Would you consider low-dose Crestor? I've always used low-dose, well, for the past couple of years, that's been 90% of what I've used. Uh, Crestor has a half-life of 17 hours. So you can actually, um, I've got several people on, uh, a standard low-dose Crestor uh, dosage is five milligrams a day. Um, I've got plenty of people on two and a half a day, some people on two and a half uh, or five, twice a week, three times a week. And I even have a few people on once a week. Uh, this, the research has been done. It's, it's shown you actually do get a positive impact, even with once a week Crestor. Now, can you do that with the other statins? No, not unless the, uh, this, the half-life is that long, and it's not that long in most of them. James Cantor, Bart Robinson, I am now a diabetic under control with an A1C of 5%. AGTT was never suggested and not sure if I should ask for it now. Um, James, at some point with my folks, even that are standard diabetics, I do get one every year or so because we want to understand just what kind of shape your pancreas is in, what kind of shape your um, insulin resistance is in. Uh, Dr. Sidkey, does low-dose Crestor cause muscle aches, fatigue, and associated side effects you find with higher doses such as 80? Uh, much lower, um, much lower uh, set of problems, Dr. Sidkey. Great question. Thank you. Amazon, just tur uh, turned 80. My cal score, calcium score was 69. In six months, I've gone from 185 to 137, and my wife thinks is low enough. Is there a weight you would consider a stopping point? For most of us, the low 20s in terms of BMI, and you can look that up on uh, Google, just Google BMI calculator, and it'll give you, it'll give you a, a section, enter your weight, enter your height, and it'll automatically pop up your numbers, your BMI. So for most of us, target that. If you've got as much mar uh, muscle as, and as little fat, as Arnold Schwarzenegger had when he was Mr. Olympia? Slightly different question. And, but with either of them, you can use a, a spec scan, but it's, or um, uh, RFM, relative fat mass, is technically the best thing to use. But that hasn't caught on yet, and that's going to be a few years before it does. Uh, if you want to look, I've got several videos on BMI, body mass index, and RFM, relative fat mass. Mr. Y. Tully, question. All cardiologists most agree that magnesium supplements are important. Did you look into Dr. Caroline Dean's magnesium, Remag? It had been a game changer for me. I'm not affiliated with her. I'm not affiliated with her either, and I haven't looked at her specific one. Um, I do know that there are uh, several uh, important impacts of magnesium. 
even and here's the thing, even I don't know anybody that would say that the typical American is not magnesium deficient. Magnesium has impact for both for the GI system, for uh, mental health. Uh, too little uh, magnesium tends it can cause depression and or anxiety. Um, and uh, even the CDC, uh, the NIH, all of us would say the typical American is magnesium deficient. So if you're not taking magnesium, if you're not aware of what we just talked about, check it out. Bart Robinson, James, hopefully Dr. Brewer will give his take on that. Oh, I think that was the question about should a diabetic ever get an, um, an OGTT? My uh, 147 degrees west, my son smokes. That's just, that is so frustrating. I have a personal close family member who smokes as well. And when, I, when he started, it was like, what could I be doing wrong? I cannot believe this. That's just so heartbreaking. There is a major, uh, there's a resurgence of smoking, especially in teenagers uh, right now. And it's, you know, gosh, it was just a few years ago that smoking, that obesity took over from smoking as the number one cause of risk factor driving uh, death and disability. And it's like, just when we thought we were getting our ha a handle around smoking, it's don't go back in the water. It's coming back. It's like Jaws. Um, Neil Higgins, Dr. Brewer, what is your exercise routine? So I live in a, uh, a condo complex, which has a wonderful uh, walk. It's about a mile, mile, it was several different walks here. Uh, one of them is one mile. Another one is about three quarters of a mile. And what I tend to do, I, uh, my kids laugh at me because they, they laugh. I get paid to talk. I'll tend to put my, uh, my headphones on, on uh, long phone calls and walk. So I get a lot of walking usually several miles a day. I stand, you may have noticed that I'm not sitting. Uh, I don't sit on any of my uh, presentations because sitting is the new, new smoking. It's, sitting's bad for you. Um, so I do those two things. Here's what I do, uh, twice a week, I'll have a sessions where I do high intensity intervals and uh, resistance training. The high intensity interval is about, uh, sessions are about half an hour. I start, it's mostly treadmill. I start off on a, we don't know exactly what level these inclines are, but it's a treadmill at a marking uh, of uh, one half uh, and then uh, eight and a half miles per hour and uh, five minutes. Then a couple of minutes of slow. And then the next five intervals will be at 10 miles per hour. That's a six minute mile pace but only for one minute, not a whole mile, and then uh, one minute of slow. So uh, 10 miles per hour on usually a half um, the, the first level of incline and then back. After I do those five, then I'll do a couple of two to three minutes at a level about five to six times higher. It's a significant incline. So I'm getting more and more uh, incline in the uh, insulin, I mean, in the um, high intensity interval. The other thing I do is a lot of resistance training. Um, if I've got a couple of videos on, uh, uh, sarcopenia, loss of muscles and, uh, ways to prevent that. And one of them, if you look at a couple of the guys that have hold a lot of world records in terms of both bodybuilding, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or lifting multiples of your weight, that's a fellow named Richard the Ant Hawthorne. I've got a couple of videos on those guys. And, and they both use a thing called the Austrian, as in Vienna, Austria, the Austrian volume method. Most people think that you do a set of 10 or eight or 10 for your, uh, for your upper body and sets of 12 for your lower body and maybe do three sets. Uh, both of these guys say, no, that's not it at all. You go for about 100 reps total. Um, 
the first 40 reps, it's light enough to where you feel like, I hope people aren't looking at me because I'm lifting so, so little weight um, and you feel like you're being silly. But what you're doing is depleting glycogen in your muscles as you do that. Then the next 40 are, you know, it's not like you're really pushing it out, but you feel it. And then the last 20, you do as much as you can. So, um, and I do squats, uh, bench press, uh, on a lot of Cybex machine type work. Um, so that's the workout. I do that twice a week, and then I do a ton of walking. Uh, what do I think of Wellbutrin? Wellbutrin has been a very, very uh, helpful tool in terms of um, smoking cessation. Uh, Dr. Farm CDE, cheers. Uh, also, James, if you're a type two, an A1C should be 4.5 to 5. Yep, that's the goal, Dr. Farm CDE. Uh, currently taking metformin ER 500 twice a day and Ozempic 0.5 milligrams a week. Richard Morris, hi, Dr. Brewer. Would a person with NAFLD produce diabetic symptoms like a high A1C or would it be the reverse of a high 1C causing NAFLD? because I believe I have fatty liver, but don't know what came first. Fatty liver is one of the, um, I've got several videos on fatty liver. It's one of those things that's very, very much related to this diabetes and um, insulin resistance and obesity epidemic. Um, all the things that you do for uh, diabetes and insulin resistance are things that help with fatty liver. Actually, there's some interesting statistic. Was it liver cancer has become, is it be, I don't know, it, it became like one of the top cancers or cancer deaths among women or men. I don't know. Again, I can't even remember the fact for you to fact check me on. Um, it's The meeting's getting long in the tooth, guys, especially if we go over an hour. Uh, Folks tend to not want to take a look at it if uh, in the uh, reviews and replays. Thank you very much for your interest. Um, check out and, and be, keep your eyes open. Be thinking about the, uh, the webinars. It's a great way to start, um, start getting a handle on where you are yourself. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.